Is this what life is really all about? Dreading going to work. But so many of us get stuck in the nine to five doing jobs that just don't light our fires. We're getting paid, but like, what is the trade-off? What is your life worth? We get one shot at this life and it's short. You know, we don't know what tomorrow has got planned for us. Hi, girlfriend. Welcome back to the Curl Squad's Curl Power Podcast. In today's episode, we are going to dig into the subject of facing change and connecting with purpose. Over the years, I have done a whole host of jobs and things all on a mission to try and figure out who I am and where I'm going in life. I remember at the point of sort of coming into the last year at school and the pressure of trying to figure out what I want to do and who I want to be and, you know, what I was going to be doing after college or after school and all of that sort of stuff. I found it, I found the pressure of that really intense because I didn't know. I didn't know. To be honest, I'm like, I'm a creative person that never really got to nurture creativity when I was younger. So I feel like I was trying to pursue an academic route, a little bit like being a square peg in a round hole. It sort of left me feeling like I was a little bit rubbish, to be honest, and not really very good at anything. So I remember the careers teacher, who hated me anyway, but, um, (laughs) yeah, that careers teacher, Mrs Donnelly, I am calling you out live on air. And you know what? I'd love to have a chat with you now. I'm a big woman. See if you've got that same energy for me. (laughs) Because you were a B-I-T-C-H. You were horrible. I went into this woman's classroom. I was sent in by another teacher to ask her something. I stood and waited politely for her. When she paused, I thought it would be an okay time for me to ask the question that the teacher had asked me to ask her. But I got a whole tirade from her. She was just angry. I went home and I told my mum and dad. And uh, (laughs) I remember my mum and dad came into school to speak to the, um, it was like the deputy head about it. And um, she was called into a meeting. And I remember on the way into the meeting, she tried to shake my dad's hand. And my dad blagged her. Yes, dad, having my back since 19 long time. But anyway, Mrs Donnelly, or Ms Donnelly, didn't exactly inspire me to find my destiny. (laughs) Did you have teachers at school that just didn't like you for no reason? And you know what? Her hatred for me was so strong that when my brother started the school, she hated him too. So, left school, went on to college, and I studied English and media studies. And I was doing A-levels, although at this point of time, they'd split them into AS levels. So if you did a year, you got an AS level. If you did the two years, you got the A-level. I ended up dropping out. After one year, I can't remember why, I just think I wasn't particularly inspired or motivated by what I was doing there. But on the side, I was doing little jobs here and there. I did, um, (gasps) we went for a meal once in a Caribbean restaurant with my mum and dad and my brother, a Caribbean restaurant that had opened not too far from us. And then I ended up, I don't know, getting a job there, which I think I did like one shift and I was absolutely crap, so I don't think I got invited back. (laughs) But um, I was just like really anxious and like probably just shaking curry goat plates and they were just having visions of customers ending up wearing the planting on the head and yeah, I wasn't the greatest waitress, but I tried. And then there was the clothes shop, which in fact, I think I used to pretty much volunteer in. I don't even think I 
got paid. I think I just used to go in and hang around to help the man who worked there, Zaf, hold tight Zaf, on uh, Kings Heath High Street. Man like Zaf, with his little ladies' clothes boutique. And, oh, oh, bless, I was just pretty rubbish at everything. I remember one day I'd put all of these... Um, these clothes onto a rail and then I was walking past it and you know the the bit that your belt goes in on your trouser the little loop well the loop of my trouser got stuck onto a clothing rail and I walked past it and then pulled this whole rail down my trousers came hanging down everything was on top of me it was a disaster but bless him for allowing me to come and hone my my working skills in his shop then I did um a little stint in a greasy spoon. In fact, I did a couple because my one of my school friends' mum and dad had a cafe as well. So I did a couple of um, I did a few shifts in there as well. Learnt the art of um, washing up. It was there that I learnt if you use really hot water to rinse your plates, they dry really quickly. Learning life skills everywhere. And then after that, I got a summer job. Yes, a summer job in McDonald's. And like, am I the only person that worked in McDonald's that thought, you know what, let's just nice up the customers, you know, let's like give them a decent portion of chips instead of like five chips in the thing. Like I was just serving abundantly, but that didn't last for very long. Then I did various temping jobs. I was actually temping for Ofsted when my boyfriend died. Um, if that's a story you haven't heard yet, I do have another episode all about what happened when my boyfriend died that you can go and check out. Yeah, my temping job, I didn't go back to that, obviously with everything that was going on, having to deal with the death of my boyfriend. But the next job I got after that um, was working in a Weatherspoons. In fact, a brand new Weatherspoons opened on the local high street and I um, I went in and I applied and I got a job working in the kitchen <laughs> there, which was interesting. In fact, I think I was pretty much on the verge of like insanity when I was working there because I was going through such emotional turbulence following the death of my boyfriend that I just, I wasn't emotionally sound and I was working these really long shifts in a really busy kitchen of this new pub. Like, my emotions were haywire. I remember, like, serving, plating up salads and then pick up a handful of tomatoes and say you're only supposed to put five tomatoes on the plate. But I had six. I'd be having internal crises about, oh, my gosh, I've picked up six tomatoes, now I have to put one back. Feeling really guilty on the tomato that I had to put back into the bag. But, you know, (laughs) I was still there trying to keep functioning as a normal person while coping with the most extreme set of circumstances I had ever met emotionally. I think in the end, like doing 12-hour shifts and sometimes split shifts as well, having to scrape cigarette ends off gravy-soaked plates, it all just got a little bit too much. So after that, my next job was like I'd landed my dream job. I was working in a record shop. And this was a record shop I always used to go into to buy my vinyl, to listen to tunes. And I got a job there and it was amazing. I really, really loved it. Not so much the steroid pumped class A snorting, aggressive vein popping out of forehead management. They weren't all like that. One in particular. But I really loved my job. I was given like an area of responsibility in the hardware store. So I was looking after all of like the DJ equipment and all of that sort of stuff. And then I ended up getting into a confrontation with another member of staff. And I got called in the office by this manager. 
and he was just in a roid rage. I don't know if that's a thing, but it, it should be a thing. Like, he was so angry, it didn't even make sense. It wasn't proportionate to whatever had happened. But I remember going into his office and I was like standing by the door and his head was red and exploding. This man's vein was like pulsing, doom, 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 like it was going pump up the jam in his forehead. Like he was just furious at me. Anyway, I think I had the audacity to speak back to him because sorry, mate, you don't get to speak to me like SHIT and me just stand there and take it. So I got sacked. <laughs> for um, gross misconduct, having the audacity to speak back to the almighty master. So yeah, for me, that was like, I wanted to take it to tribunal and everything at the time, but like that in itself was a whole process. So that was the end of that. The next job I was to take on, it seemed great to everybody. It seemed great to me. Oh, I felt so professional now. I've got a job. I was in Birmingham city center. I was working for a bank you know, the height of professionalism. I'd finally made it, doing meaningless tasks for soul-devoid people. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I didn't understand the whole banking thing. But I ended up there for 12 years. 12 soulless years. <laughs> but this theme for me of being a square peg in a round hole just continued like, I was finding that I was getting into situations where I was getting, you know, called in by management. In fact, it's something that has happened quite a few times in my professional career. Is somehow my passion gets misconstrued for aggression. That might be a familiar story for some of you out of there. There's this caricature of the angry black woman it's like, I'm not angry, I'm just passionate or I'm feeling something deeply or, you know, I'm really excited about something so I'm speaking like this in a way that's like that and I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling it. Oh, I need to get aggressive. Aggressive? You think this is a You think this is aggression? <laughs> I ended up um, leaving Birmingham. A job opportunity came up in London and I was just like, yep, I'm going for it. I love London, always have my eyes on the big smoke. I spent so many weekends coming down to London, raving, enjoying myself. I had a lot of friends down here. Um, so, you know, the allure of the big city was calling. So I applied for this job in the city. I got it, amazing, such an exciting time. So I landed on this team. I was the youngest person on the team. We had um, this like sort of, a manager and a team leader. Let's call the manager um, El Gamon and let's call the team leader El Gamon number two. It was like Britain's first wet dream kind of thing. Oh, those men, they hated me. We were doing things that just didn't make sense, like doing all this manual data input. And I'm like, guys, there's like there's ways that we can improve this as a system like it doesn't make sense that we're doing it like this I can do this and just make it a lot easier for everyone and they're like no we've been doing this for 50 years this way it must not change I'm like okay it doesn't really make sense to me but if you insist and then there was another woman on the team who called me a diva not to my face but to the other women I think these people get so used to people that are just like, yes, sir, yes, master, no, master. And I'm like, sorry, that's that's not me. I will come, I will do a good job. I will do an amazing job. 
but don't take me for a dick. Don't speak to me like I'm a dick. Like, the respect thing, it has to be mutual. You don't get to just bark at me and command my respect. It doesn't work like that. So I'm starting to get the impression that maybe I don't make a very good employee or maybe I'm just not that good. Maybe I'm a problem. In fact, I am a problem. Now, every year, people in the team, a few people in the team will get a bonus. So I'm coming up with all of these innovating ideas. Not once did I ever get a bonus. All I used to get was barked at. I remember again, <laughs> there's something about these men in power that don't like young brown women like me speaking up to them. Well, it, you know, it might just be young women speaking up to them in general, but I can only speak from my experience. Again, I had another foaming at the mouth, rage-induced manager getting angry at me because I'm not letting him speak to me like I'm an idiot. Like, you have to know your worth enough to know when people are out of line. Like, I'm not unreasonable. Some people might be listening to this thinking, she's an employer's nightmare. I'm the wrong employer's nightmare. <laughs> but if you like someone who is innovative and challenges processes and wants to streamline and improve things, then, you know, my talent just wasn't appreciated or nurtured. Although I say that, one of the senior managers, he saw what I was trying to do and he actually really appreciated some of the improvements that I was making to the systems. And I got an award for it. And we got to go to an amazing dinner at a fancy hotel. And um, and that year I still didn't get a bonus because that was up to um, El Gamon. He just gives the bonuses out to his friends regardless of what they do. But apart from the senior manager recognising me, I, was, I wasn't recognised. And then we got made redundant. Oh, what a shame. The universe was saying, get out of there, sis. Run while you can. But the whole time I was at the bank, I sort of lacked confidence, really. I was getting all this pushback from the managers. I, I thought I was there with this energy of excitement and curiosity, but it wasn't welcome and reciprocated in an industry that was sort of stuck in old ways of doing things. Like one of the jobs that I had was to do with um, statements and international banking statements. And I'm like, guys, wouldn't it just make sense if we turn this into an online process and did it online instead of having to speak to banks in South Africa who then have to fax us through or post us this stuff? Like there's better ways we can do this. But anyway, they just weren't ready for the future. And then guess what happened? The financial crash. 2009 we lost our jobs. Our positions became redundant. They were taking our department and many others out to India. That's the one good thing that happened was I got to develop lots of processes and systems to help to take the roles out to India and train up teams in India. So I was so fortunate to get to fly out business class and spend a month in Chennai taking the processes that I'd developed and teaching our colleagues in India had to do our job so I could come home and be made redundant and have no more job. <laughs> but yeah, it was an amazing time. But when I came back, yeah, we got made redundant. And to me, it just felt like everything was falling apart because I was really lacking a lot of confidence and I was, you know, suffering with a lot of anxiety. And my experience was in the banking industry, but it wasn't setting my soul on fire. It felt like I was having to drag myself out of bed every day to go and do work that... I just wasn't passionate about. I didn't even understand what I was doing in, in the bigger picture. Like, it was meaningless work as far as I was concerned. So on the side, I was doing stuff that was like a little bit more in line with who I was as a person. 
I was working with promoters in London at club nights. In fact, me and my best friend put on our own club night, which was great fun. And at the weekends, I was moonlighting as a presenter. We got to, me and my best friend, Colette, again, we got to present um, and interview some of the world's biggest underground artists at music festivals and clubs. So, like, for me, that was living the life, turning up at festivals, jumping in like little golf buggies, going round um, to the backstage, catching the artists when they've finished, or um, if it was in a club, we'd go into the VIP room and catch an interview, and it was good fun. Like, I was really sort of, like, shy and anxious, and looking back, I don't look as anxious as I was feeling, but inside it was just like I wasn't even listening <laughs> to what the artists were saying. All I was doing was thinking about what I was going to say next. So, um, yeah, just so much anxiety, but I was trying to push myself out of my comfort zone and just try and do stuff that brought a little bit of joy and enjoyment to my life. And actually, it was there in Spain at one of the events that we were um, we were doing the interviews at where I met Kane, the love of my life, and I interviewed him. And that's where the sparks began to fly. And the rest is history. <laughs> so I continued with my love of Clubland. And you know what? It was pretty much clubbing and raving that... I was living for like these soulless days, doing soulless work in a soulless bank in a soulless city of London was just made a little bit more manageable by living for the weekend and just partying hard to, <laughs> to try and ignore the pain of the week. I'm like, is this what life is? Is this what life is really all about? Dreading going to work. Like it just didn't make sense to me that that's what life is about. But so many of us get stuck in the nine to five doing jobs that just don't light our fires internally. We're getting decent money, we're getting paid, but like, like what is the trade-off? Like, what is your life worth? We get one shot at this life and it's short. You know, we don't know what tomorrow has got planned for us, but there we are spending so much of it doing stuff that we hate. Oh, especially in London, getting on cramped tubes in some sweaty man's armpit. If you're lucky, you might even get groped. This is this is what it was like, getting on the tubes to work. And obviously I'm being sarcastic when I say if you're lucky enough, but this is the sort of stuff that women are dealing with out there on the way to work. And just the levels of aggression, because there's so many people on the underground going to jobs that they don't want to do, wasting their lives in misery projecting it out on anyone who dares to cross their path or dares to open up their newspaper or have their leg touch their leg by accident on the tube and oh by the time you get home you need to decompress eat your dinner go to sleep get ready to do it all over again the next day so after being made redundant even though the universe was trying to say to me girl you are not about this life I was like please master find me another job in the banking industry I love it so much just because I lacked the confidence to go out and pursue something that I that I really loved and enjoyed so I went back in got another job in the banking industry all while suffering with generalized anxiety disorder like pushing against everything that my body was trying to stop me from doing like just having the most amount of issues getting on the tube with anxiety bursting into panic attacks to do work that I didn't understand or enjoy at a rate less than what my colleagues were getting paid because I didn't know how to negotiate better salaries 
working for managers again that just thought I was a problem because I was emotional or because they had no understanding of mental health and the impact of that on behaviour. So because I was actually really suffering at this time with um, with my generalised anxiety disorder and it was impacting my health, it was impact, impacting my ability to work, I actually applied to my manager to change my working hours. You would have thought that I was asking to do to get paid the same amount to do less hours. I wasn't. I was literally just asking, can I come in earlier and leave earlier to avoid the really intense periods on the tube? Because they're causing me great emotional... It's causing me real emotional distress, getting on the tubes, having panic attacks, having to see paramedics. You know, it was just a nightmare. I was constantly sick. My immune system was shot. I was getting, like, tonsillitis three, four times a year. Any common cold, you name it, I was getting it. I was run down, beat down, disillusioned and miserable. And then I was lucky enough to get a new manager, Valerie. God bless Valerie. I love Valerie. I'm still in touch with her now. She, for the first time in my working life, I had a manager who, who got me. Valerie is amazing. She's a beautiful black woman. And there was just a lot of things about me that she just got. She didn't misconstrue my passion for aggression. It was like, that was so different for me. For the first time in my working life, I just felt understood. And there was a lot of things that didn't need to be said because she just got me and it was great. So while I was trying to come to terms with these anxiety issues I was having, HR actually at that particular bank helped me to connect with a counsellor. And that was like a life-changing move there. So I started counselling and um, it was a real game changer. The counsellor that I saw just really helped me to unpick some pieces and understand like, you know, I'm not going mad. I have got this anxiety disorder, but her helping me to gain some perspective on that was absolutely transformational. So much so that it prompted me to want to become a counsellor myself. So I went to uni as an adult. I went to Birkbeck to study counselling and counselling skills. Um, and it was great. It taught me so much about the mind. And I actually didn't go on to become a counsellor because it was a ridiculous amount of money to get my master's. Um, so I didn't pursue it. But what it did teach me was so much about myself. I finally had the skills to be able to distill everything that was going on in my head. And I started to be able to understand the impact of everything that had happened in my life and how that was all connecting to how I was behaving. So that was a real transformational point for me. So while I'm studying counselling at the weekends, the universe is like, Oi, kid, you weren't listening when I said you're not intended for this banking machine. Time to leave. But again, it doesn't matter how miserable I was at the bank, the thought of even trying to apply for another job was just like so scary to me that I just stayed stuck. Even my miserable reality wasn't enough to make me want to stand up, go out and find a job that I was passionate about because I was just so beat down by everything that was going on. I would rather have stayed in misery than push myself out of my comfort zone to see what was possible on the other side of it. So anyway, another redundancy. These greedy bankers, honestly, this time I was like, I am not going back well, that's a lie, because before that, I did apply for a job at the Bank of England. I thought I'd made it. I remember going to get myself a nice little suit from Marks and Spencer's, 
turned up at this Bank of England um, interview, my hair all out and natural because I still was like, you know, take me as you find me. And I remember walking in and, and the guys were just sort of like, mm-hmm. it, you know, when you, you walk into a room and from the get go, the vibe is just off. Like, to be honest, I don't think the recruiter should have sent me there in the first place, but it was just the interview from hell. I, I, I just felt like saying, shall we just stop wasting each other's time and I just turn around and walk out now? Needless to say, I didn't get that job. So after 12 soul-crushing years in the banking industry, I was free. I was free from it. And now a job came up at a charity. It's a youth arts charity with a girl that I know. Shout out to Lady MC. She started a charity to serve the young people in disadvantaged areas of London. She had this bus and the bus was equipped with studio equipment so we would take the bus out to different areas and the kids would be able to do workshops in like emceeing, DJing, graffiti, in all these different creative areas, working with some amazing, talented tutors who are actually creatives in the real world, like these guys are real producers and MCs. So I was in project management there, so responsible for organising the events and... Uh, we got to do festivals and all sorts. So, you know what? This was the first time where I actually felt like part of something. I actually felt valued for what I had to offer. I actually felt like the people that I was serving, like they got me, I got them, and everything just felt congruent for the first time. And that was really special. The charity had to make some cuts, so that had to come to an end. And then after that, I joined forces. I took my project management skills and join forces with my brother and our business partner, who's just like our homeboy from day, Danny. We set up a digital marketing agency, Hold Tight Digital Group Media. My brother had been in web design for a while. I had my project management skills. Danny is a don in sales. So we just pulled together and built up what is now an award-winning agency. It's like me and my little brother, we're like super close. He's like one of my best friends as well as my little brother. Let's say it probably wasn't the healthiest thing (laughs) for our sibling relationship. So the business dynamic changed. I stepped away from the business. I had my daughter, my long-awaited precious child. And then um, a few months after she was born, I went back to work, working for them. But I was working on a freelance, in a freelance basis now. um, So doing creative project management in the digital marketing space and everything was going swimmingly well until dum 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 29th of February 2020 when I sustained my spinal cord injury then everything changed so just when I felt like I was feeling empowered feeling in stride doing stuff that I was enjoying getting paid everything was going nicely then boom Life changed as we knew it. So, you know, the projects had to move on. They couldn't wait for me. Look, here I am almost two years later. I'm still not in a position where I could work in a full-time capacity, unfortunately. So naturally, the projects had to move on, which was heartbreaking for me. And I'm sure it was difficult for my brother as well to have to then go on and find somebody else to take on my role. So I had to do some grieving, you know, I was grieving for the body I'd lost, grieving for the life I'd created, grieving for the mother that I envisioned that I'd be, that I couldn't be anymore because of everything that was happening to me. And there I am, feeling at rock bottom, having to 
pick myself up and start all over again. So I'm carving out a new way of being in a new body with a new perspective. And more than ever, I'm just being called to follow my heart and to only do work that feels congruent and authentic with who I am as a person. When I launched the Curl Squad, it was about connecting with like-minded people, finding people out there who had similar sort of life experiences, people who had been through stuff, people who were growing through stuff, but just finding people who were on a level. After so many years of working out of authenticity, it's more important for me than ever. And I've still got a digital marketing client who I work with, and he's a really, really great guy. I've worked with him for years. But again, being able to forge really authentic working relationships where it's figuring out how I can best serve people. So for my with my digital marketing client, it's like, how can I best serve him? What are his objectives? Where's he at in his life? What's important for him? And how can I help him to reach those objectives? So yeah, I'm just really working at providing service at the moment. And the more self-reflection that I'm doing, like the louder my heart is getting, the more I'm hearing the call to work with other heart-centered, creative women who, yeah, just want to discover their power and purpose after trauma as well. For the women that know that life is worth something more than where they're at at the moment, like you've got that voice inside that is telling you there's something more. Perhaps you don't know what it is yet. I spent years not knowing what it is, but always being driven by a sense that I was worth more than the life that I was experiencing. And my life has been really, really rich in life lessons and experience. And through the years, through these big things that have happened, these sort of major traumas and challenges that I've been through, I've always had this underlying feeling that there's a purpose within that. Like these things aren't just happening to me for fun. I'm here to learn things. I'm here to take what I learn and use that to help other people to come through their challenges. I know there's going to be some of you out there listening to this podcast that were fighting battles before the pandemic hit, then boom, life changed as we knew it. Like, I don't know one person who hasn't been impacted by the pandemic. It pretty much knocked us all off our feet. But if there's a little voice inside you, a feeling, an intuition, whatever you want to call it, a little vibe that is telling you that life is worth something more, because the way the media is going on at the moment, it's all doom and gloom. But I don't know, I'm excited. I'm excited because I, I get a sense of a greater purpose. And if you've got that feeling, but you haven't quite tuned into it yet, but you get that sense that there's life is worth something more, I wonder what it would be like to just really slow down and decompress and take the time to tune into what your heart's trying to say because your heart is the window to your soul. And your soul is here for a purpose. Sometimes it's really hard to decipher what that is when there's so much noise and so much negativity going on around us and so much distraction. Like social media is a relatively new thing. We're not designed to be constantly consumed by this scroll, 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 looking at what everyone's got going on in their life. While we're constantly looking outwards at what everybody else is doing, we're not looking within. We're not tapping into what our heart is trying to say to us. So I think it's really important to be able to try and find the quiet time to see what that means for you. Like your soul came here with a purpose. Like I know that 
transformation is possible. Like I've been there. There were points through this career history that I've just spoken about with you where I was at my lowest ebb considering suicide standing on the platform on the way home from work. But here I am now in what some people on the outside might think is a really actually crappy situation with my spinal cord injury, but I have never felt more free. I have never felt more content. I've never felt more purposeful because I'm starting to get a real sense of what my purpose is. So if this does sound like you, I would love it if you would just DM me on the socials, like directly. Yeah, you can hit me up on Instagram. Come and follow me at zoe.e.fox. Or you can follow the Curl Squad too. But if there's something in this podcast that is speaking to your soul, just slide into my DMs and message power and purpose. And let's see if there's a way we can connect to help you discover your power and purpose. Yeah, let's just make the rest of our lives as meaningful, as purposeful, as joy-filled as we possibly can. Because we weren't put on this life for a life of mediocrity. We were put on this planet so we could live our life to the full and tap into our purpose. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited at that prospect. Let's see what's possible, Carl friend. Until next time, big love, peace out, and catch you then.